straight to bed. Shh, it's the milk flavors. Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. That's right. And we hope that all of our listeners, or at least all the moms out there, had a fantastic Mother's Day. And in the spirit of the holiday, we're going to talk about one of the greatest mother-daughter combos ever set to cinema. Carrie White and Margaret White. That's right. They're such a fantastically loving and in-sync mother-daughter combination, right? It's just like... I don't know. It's the best mother-daughter pairing since, like, Terms of Endearment, even though that movie came out after Carrie. I don't know. Either way. What a dynamic duo. (laughs) Something about that relationship reminds me of that movie. Misery. (laughs) I'm your number one mom. (laughs) Anyway, Carrie is a 1976 American supernatural horror film directed by Brian De Palma. From a screenplay by Lawrence D. Cohen, adapted from, of course, Stephen King's 1974 epistolary novel of the same name, and featuring a score by Pino Donagio. The film focuses on a shy teenage girl who's constantly mocked and bullied at school, but her peers are unaware that she possesses special telekinetic powers that make psycho sounds. Yay, 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 yay! <laughs> the film stars Sissy Spacek in the titular role, Betty Buckley, Nancy Wait, Allen. Don't you mean dirty pillow role? Dirty pillow roll. <laughs> yes, I shouldn't be saying titular. <laughs> Amy Irving, Betty Buckley, Nancy Allen, William Cat, and John Travolta are featured in supporting roles, and Piper Laurie as Carrie's mother. This is the first of more than 100 film and TV productions adapted from or based on the published works of Stephen King. And it's the first film in the Carrie franchise, a franchise that has seen its fair share of adaptations. Including musicals. That's right. One of my faves. But I do love that this is the the very, very first. Right. Listeners, we can see your dirty pillows, and they're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> this is Cassie. It's Carrie. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there. Even Carrie White. The girl no one likes. Oh, sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. Help the silly woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her. And if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. If you don't have a date to the prom next Friday, would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie... It will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. <coughs> Carrie. <coughs> a new film by Brian De Palma. Based on the chilling bestseller. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. If you have a taste for terror, 
You have a date with Carrie. Carrie White, played by Sissy Spacek, an introverted teenager, is often bullied at her high school. One day, while showering after gym class in an unusually rowdy girls' locker room, Carrie notices that she's bleeding for no reason. She's gotten her monthly visitor, but she didn't even know the visitor was scheduled. Frightened and fearing for her life, she screams to her classmates for help. Her screams are answered in the form of taunts, as the class, led by popular girls Sue Snell, played by Amy Irving, and Chris Harginson, played by Nancy Allen, grab sanitary napkins to toss at the cowering Carrie. They shout, plug it up, as they assault her with the kotex, until gym teacher Mrs. Collins, played by Betty Buckley, enters and slaps Carrie to her senses. A light bulb overhead breaks. Miss Collins and the principal dismiss Carrie for the day, but an ashtray flies off his desk when he cannot remember Carrie's name. While walking home, a boy on a bike calls Carrie names, but he's thrown off when she glares at him. Carrie lives with her religious fanatic of a mother, Margaret, played by Piper Laurie, who receives a phone call from the school about the locker room incident. Realizing that her daughter has had her first period, she preaches at Carrie about the sins of women and locks her in a small altar-like closet to pray with the world's creepiest crucifix. Miss Collins assembles the mean girls to administer their punishment for being such bitches to Carrie. She tells them that she would like to give them all suspension and refusal of their prom tickets, but instead, she will only give them detention filled with grueling calisthenics. When Chris objects, without the support of her friends, she is denied access to the prom. Meanwhile, Sue is feeling a little guilty about telling Carrie to plug it up, so she asks her boyfriend, curly-haired quarterback Tommy Ross, played by William Catt, to ask Carrie to the prom. He's flabbergasted, but reluctantly agrees. When he asks her out, Carrie is equally flabbergasted, but decides to attend with him. Chris is making some plans of her own. She enlists the help of her abusive and very stupid boyfriend, Billy Nolan, played by John Travolta, to exact revenge on Carrie during the world's talkiest blowjob. The plan is made, and the first step is to beat a pig to death for its blood. Carrie has noticed that she seems to have a strange ability. She can move and manipulate things just by thinking about it. She goes to the library and finds books on miracles which tell her that her apparent psychic gift is called telekinesis. She tells her mother about her plans to attend the prom with Tommy, but Margaret vehemently denies until Carrie uses her new power to establish some sort of dominance. Silly Carrie. The prom is fast approaching, and the gym is being decorated, giving Chris and Billy the chance to get everything ready for their revenge. They rig a bucket filled with pig's blood above the stage and get their friends to help rig the prom king and queen elections. Carrie nervously gets ready for the prom in her homemade dress, and her mother tries again to keep her from going by calling out her dirty pillows and telling her that all her classmates will laugh at her. I can see your dirty pillows. Undeterred, Carrie heads to the prom, where she finally starts to feel accepted and begins to have the night of her life. When Carrie and Tommy are announced as the prom royalty, they walk to the stage with thunderous applause, but Chris and Billy are hiding and ready to pull the string attached to the bucket of blood overhead. Miss Collins notices that Sue Snell has snuck into the prom to watch the crowning. Sue notices the bucket and Chris and tries to intervene, but Miss Collins shoes her outside. Sue watches from a window as the bucket of blood is toppled and drops all over Carrie and Tommy. The bucket drops and hits Tommy on the noggin, killing him. As laughter begins to erupt from the onlookers, Carrie has had a fucking nuff. 
Chris and Billy escape before Kiri, using the powers of her mind, locks the gym doors, trapping everyone else inside. She starts to spray everyone with fire hoses and makes the lights explode. She electrocutes the principal and English teacher on stage. She kills her beloved Miss Collins with falling building materials. The children are running and screaming as Carrie's devastation causes the gym to erupt into flames. Carrie calmly walks out as the rest of her class burns to death. Chris and Billy spot Carrie walking home and attempt to run her over, but she throws their car off the road, killing them. Carrie arrives home to find that her mother must have gone to the buy one get one free event at Yankee Candle and takes a vanilla smelling candle lit bath to wash off the blood. Her mother comes out of hiding and Carrie asks to be comforted, admitting that her mother was right all along. But Margaret has a different idea of what comfort is and plunges a knife into Carrie's back. Carrie falls down the stairs to the kitchen with her mother in pursuit. Carrie sends a slew of kitchen gadgetry and knives toward her mother, penetrating her dirty pillows and crucifying her against a wall. Another knife lands in her stomach, providing the final blow. Overcome with grief, Carrie pulls her mother down and holds her while she sets the house ablaze. The house begins to come down around them, and Carrie dies amongst the debris. Sometime later, Sue visits the scene of the destruction. She kneels down to place some flowers on Carrie's final resting place, when a hand suddenly springs from the rubble, grabbing her arm. Sue awakens from her nightmare, screaming and obviously forever traumatized. Her mother comforts her as she continues to scream and scream and scream. The end. <laughs> I like it when the synopses end with question marks. <laughs> so that's Carrie. You know, and uh, that's not the end of Carrie's career. She would go on and do many, many more adaptions and sequels and other things. That's right. You know, of course, this was her her best. This was this was Carrie at her best. Carrie was released on November 3rd, 1976, in 17 theaters in the D.C. Baltimore area, followed by more openings in Chicago, New York City, and L.A., before moving into a wider release. It would become the second most successful film released that November, right behind Rocky. The film would eventually gross more than $33 million against a budget of $1.8 million. And $33 million in 1976 money today is like, what? A gobbledygillion dollars. So, yeah, yeah Carrie seemed to be very popular. Uh, Carrie holds a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes and is certified fresh. The audience score sits at 77%. The site's consensus reads, Carrie is a horrifying look at supernatural powers, high school cruelty, and teen angst. And it brings us one of the most memorable and disturbing prom scenes in history. The movie received widespread critical acclaim and was considered to be one of the best films of that year. Roger Ebert stated that the film was an absolute spellbinding horror movie, as well as an observant human portrait, giving the film three and a half stars out of four. Pauline Gale of The New Yorker called Carrie one of the best scary movies since Jaws, a teasing, terrifying, lyrical shocker. Take One Magazine's Susan Schinker said she was angry at the way Carrie manipulated me to the point where my heart was thudding and embarrassed me because the film really works. Hmm. Why is it embarrassing? Yeah, I don't I don't know why you'd be embarrassed by that. Someone needs to take a good hard look at their sex. <laughs> That's right. Susan, that bitch. 
Of course, the film did have its detractors. Our favorite horror-hating critic Gene Siskel gave the film two and a half stars out of four. He called it a crude shocker with little style. He praised the strong performances, but opined that the movie falls apart during the climax, which he called crude and sloppy. What? Yeah. Wrong. That's not where it falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong, Gene, like usual. In a 2010 interview, Stephen King said, although very dated now, Carrie was a very good movie. Yeah, so I guess he had nothing but high praise. It's the weirdest quote. There's so many quotes about of, of him talking about this movie, and that's the weirdest one I've seen. He really liked the movie. He still likes yeah. it. <clears throat> he likes it better than The Shining. It created his career. Yes, for sure. Um, at the Academy Awards, Carrie was one of the few movies to be recognized for its um, one of the few horror movies to be recognized for for its performances. Susie Spacek was nominated for Best Actress, but she lost to Faye Dunaway in Network. And Piper Laurie was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, although she lost to Beatrice Strait in Network. So apparently, Network was just snatching all the trophies. Oh I need like a celebrity death match between Mommy Dearest and Margaret White. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i forgot that show even existed <laughs> do, you, do you think like i have faye dunaway's like or like uh, whatever her name is like coming out with a wire hanger and then margaret no my wire hangers <laughs> i pray you find jesus <laughs> margaret wright just has a a bible to beat her with <laughs> no a really disturbing crucifix piper laurie was also nominated for best supporting actress at the golden globes and at the fourth annual Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Horror Film. What one? I don't know. I probably should have looked that up. Let's mm-hmm. do it right now, shall we? Burnt Offerings. Oh. Yeah. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it in quite some time. Do you want to know what the other nominees were while we're here? Sure. Um Carrie, Burnt Offerings, obviously. House of Mortal Sin, which I've never heard of, because it sounds like the mm. White House. Um, <laughs> both Carrie White's house and the actual one in D.C. Eaten Alive, The Food of the Gods, Obsession, and The Omen. Oh, The Omen. I'm surprised that didn't win. Yeah, it did not. Mm. Well, Carrie made its way onto a lot of lists, too, right? So it ranks number 46 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Thrills, number 86 on Empire's 500 Greatest Movies of All Time, and Entertainment Weekly ranked it number 15 on the 50 Best High School Movies list, and Bravo placed it at number 8 on its 100 Scariest Movie Series. Quentin Tarantino <laughs> says it's his eighth favorite movie. It's oddly specific. <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm so glad that tidbit was available. Okay. In our own Top 10 Stephen King Adaptations episode, Carrie showed up as number six and number two on Chris and Robert's list, respectively. Both of us chose The Mist as number one for that episode. It also shows up in our Greatest Horror Movie Quotes episode. That's correct. I think a lot of quotes ended up in that episode from (laughs) Carrie. Yeah. Like we said a little earlier, the Carrie franchise is vast. People can't seem to stop adapting this work. A sequel, The Rage, Carrie 2, was released in 1999, which we're covering next week. A television miniseries starring Angela Bettis aired in 2002. Another theatric remake was released in 2013, aiming to add plot points from the novel missing in the original theatrical release. Unfortunately, it's not. I don't, I mean, I didn't think that it sucked really. Like I liked the movie for like certain elements, you know, and I'm glad that they changed it up a little bit to be more like the novel. But if you want to compare like, you know, apples to apples or carries to carries, then yeah, it pretty much sucked. 
I, it's it was Frankenstein the wrong way. It's got excellent performances. It's it was filmed excellently. It's got some great sequences, but like I don't know if it's the editing, the pacing, uh, the music, all of that stuff. I don't know because it just whatever however they put that thing together did not work. I mean, I liked it better than the TV miniseries, but the thing that bothered me the most about the 2013 remake is that they picked Chloe Grace Moretz to play that character, right? And she did not look anything like a shy, introverted teenager. She looked like somebody who actually would win prom queen. And I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, at least try to make her look a little dowdy or something, but they just didn't do any of that. The story famously opened on Broadway as a musical in 1988. The musical closed after only 16 previews and five performances. It was set as a pop opera or popera. Papra? Papra? Uh, filtered through Greek tragedy, and it just didn't seem to work. The show was so notorious that it provided the title to Kevin Mandelbaum's survey of theatrical disasters entitled Not Since Carrie, 40 Years of Broadway Musical Flops. In the early 2000s, playwright Eric Jackson attempted to secure the rights to, to stage another production of the musical, but was denied. He eventually earned the consent of Stephen King and produced a non-musical version starring drag queen Sherry Vine. The musical was also the focus of an episode of Riverdale. The musical eventually reopened in 2012 with numerous revisions. I really like this musical. I do. I mean, I listen to the soundtrack mm. a lot, mostly like the, the most recent one. And it is a popera. But um, based on the staging, and you can watch an entire YouTube video of the musical itself, like it really doesn't work. They have like all the students acting as the Greek chorus, and I'm like, oh no, it's bad. Like it's like they're turning Carrie into like Oedipus Rex, and I was just like, stop going so deep with it. (laughs) Like really, (laughs) shit. Let's talk a little bit about Carrie's history. Yes, I think we have to because it's long and storied. So, of course, Carrie was the first Stephen King novel to be published and also uh, the first to be adapted into a feature film, which we already said. But I was actually surprised that it was also his first novel to be published. I didn't know that. Yeah, he wrote this novel and he had convinced himself that he just didn't know a thing about like teenage girls. He didn't think he got the characters down enough. And so he threw it in the trash. And his wife, Tabitha, like pulled it out of the trash and read it. And she was just like, what the fuck are you doing? send this in and he did and it was eventually published and was the start of you know his incredible horror career in an interview in 2010 king said that he was only 26 years old at the time and was paid just two thousand five hundred dollars for the film rights but added quote i was fortunate to have that happen to my first book hell yeah you were Mm -hmm. shit uh de palma told cinefastique magazine in an interview in 1977 quote i read the book It was suggested to me by a writer friend of mine, a writer friend of his, Stephen King, had written it. I guess this was almost two years ago, like circa 1975. I liked it a lot and proceeded to call my agent to find out who owned it. I found out that nobody had bought it yet. A lot of studios were considering it, so I called around to some people I knew and and said it was a terrific book. I'm very interested in doing it. Then nothing happened for, I guess, six months. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, eventually Lawrence D. Cohen was hired as a screenwriter and produced the first draft, which had closely followed the novel's intentions, and United Artists accepted the second draft, but only allocated De Palma a budget of $1.6 million, a small amount, considering the popularity of horror movies at the time. The budget eventually rose to $1.8 million. I don't know why that's a, <laughs> even a note here. <laughs> 
I was two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, back then that was a that was a big you know that was like a million dollars. Now took a change. So certain yeah, certain scripted scenes were omitted from the final version, mainly due to those financial limitations. Mm So many young actresses auditioned for the lead role of Carrie, including Melanie Griffith. Uh, Sissy Spacek was persuaded by her husband, Jack Fisk, a longtime art director and Terrence Malick collaborator, to audition for the title role. Fisk, who was also art director for the film, convinced De Palma to let her audition, and she read for all the parts. De Palma's first choice for the role of Carrie was Betsy Slade, who received good notices for her role in the film Our Times in 1974. Determined to land the leading role, though, Spacek backed out of a television commercial she was scheduled to film, <laughs> rubbed Vaseline into her hair, left her face unwashed, and arrived for her screen test clad in a sailor dress, which her mother had made for her in the seventh grade, <laughs> with the hem cut off, and she was given the part. Yeah. And it's a really good anecdote, actually. <laughs> <laughs> And this like launched her career, right? Yeah, so, it did. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean, Oscar nominated for this movie, so good for you, Sissy Spacek. Yeah. I didn't realize Looks like she went the extra couple miles. Yeah, I mean, and you kind of have to, right? If you really want to part, you you do whatever you can. I think we've talked about stories like that a lot on the Film Flamers. Well, it's just interesting because she was, you know, reading for all those parts because you know her husband jack fisk was working as art director for the movie already he was already attached she was already kind of so it was very kind of uh she was right place right time to the right person you know and then of course went you know balls to the wall with her audition and uh of course jack fisk would go on to have an amazing career working for like um you know terrence terrence malick but also people like paul anderson and like uh did things like uh, there will be blood and and you know all kinds of movies and so he went on to of course have his career as well yeah i think it's neat that, to hear you say that because like i was we were, as i was watching carrie i was thinking about brian de palma and i know we're going to talk about him you know in this episode but i think he's my second favorite director and my first is paul thomas anderson so i mean there's a link between them my goodness oh yeah melanie griffith was already working back then i guess so she's around the same age right i guess i just i didn't think of her as old as sissy spacek but i mean uh she is 63 and sissy spacek is 71 so close so she would have been more of a teenager then yeah but there's other teenagers that were up for the role as well wait are are there some fun facts I mean, about that? Yeah, there are. Good. All right. You know, Sissy Spacek was one of the older Mm -hmm. people for it, but she looked young. Nancy Allen was the last to audition, and her audition came just as she was on the verge of leaving Hollywood for good, right? So she and De Palma later married, though, and divorced in 1984. And she also started movies like De Palma's Dress to Kill and also Robocop and Poltergeist 3. I love Nancy Allen. I do. I just, I mean, like, I... And she was in, she's in a lot more De Palma movies than like Dress to Kill, you know, and um, she's in like Body Double. And um, so I think that she's just she's so good. And she's especially good in Brian De Palma movies. So, yeah. And, you know, I don't think she's ever been more stunning than she actually is in this movie. <laughs> yeah. There is just some shots of her face. Right. And I'm just like, Christ, she's beautiful. You know? Yeah. yeah it was just like, she's good. I just love Nancy. I, yeah. I remember her having like an every girl kind of quality back in Robocop. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was only a few short years after this. Right. Well, no, maybe 10, yeah. <laughs> 10 or 15 years after this, probably. I don't know. Um, you know, and of course, Poltergeist three, she was a lot older, but you know, obviously I, I didn't realize that was the same person upon my rewatch this time. Yeah. She looks like fresh faced and very, very mm-hmm. young. And then like just, uh, you know, a couple years later when they made, um, 
Dressed to Kill, she looks like an older person in that movie, right? She's playing a prostitute anyway. I mean, it's just like, I, I just think she's so good. She's a very gifted actress, and I, I wish that she was still working a lot more, but I don't know. There's actually a podcast that she was on. I think it was Eli Roth's where they had these extended conversations, right? And it was just fascinating to hear her talk about working with De Palma in her early years in Hollywood and the movies. And of course, her made. marriage to him. Yeah, <laughs> and her marriage to him. And I mean, and they're still friendly, you know? And um, I don't know. It was just, it was a really good listen. And I just, I really appreciate Nancy Allen as an actress. Well, it's funny because we've, we've had several movies in a row where we have like three favorite actresses, you know, like uh, we had. Adam's family with like Christina Ricci and Joan Cusack and Angelica Houston, Angelica Houston. Yeah. You know, and this one's no different. We have Piper Laurie and we have Sissy Spacek and we have Nancy Allen. And of course, I think those are our three favorite performances from this movie. Of course, there's way more that we love in this movie as well that we'll get into as we go through the movie. But first, I think we should talk a little bit more about Brian De Palma specifically. And, and personally uh, what I feel like is his, out of this world love affair for Hitchcock. Yeah. Which is famous. Um, Brian De Palma certainly was a student of Hitchcock, right? I mean, you can see it in all of his early movies. And as he started to sort of hone his craft, I mean, like you could still see the, the Hitchcock influence in my opinion, in a lot of movies that he made, including the untouchables. I mean, like something in direct references. Yeah. Yes. You know, uh, especially in Carrie and like dressed to it's kill. more than influence. They're direct rips <laughs> from Hitchcock, <laughs> you know? And it's funny, like, because we, like a year ago, I think we were talking about not maybe, well, it seems like a year ago, but when uh, nurse ratchet show came out, right. Yeah. And I was like, this is a love letter to Hitchcock. And you're like, no, it's more like a, a love letter to, to Brian De Palma. And here we are again yes right. right yeah i think when we were talking about ratchet i called it a love letter to brian de palma's love letter to hitchcock or something yeah. like that but yeah yeah so but you can do both at the same time you know they're doing all those different things and brian de palma had his signature moves as well right mm-hmm. um but first let's go through it a little bit i wrote some of them down yeah. uh like the name of the high school in this movie is bates high in reference to norman bates from psycho this is not from the book right this is right. Brian De Palma's choices. And in addition to this, the slaughterhouse is also named Bates Packing, where the kids collect their pig's blood. I'm guessing the city name, if you were to see it, would have been like Bates Town or something, right? I don't know. <laughs> you never know. Yes. Right? Uh, also, of course, the four-note violin theme from Psycho is used over and over and over in the film and is used as a sound effect for Carrie's powers. <laughs> So when I was watching the movie, I wrote a I wrote a note because when I take notes watching it and I was just like, OK, why don't we try to make this score sound a little bit more like Psycho? And then when I paused the movie, because even though I own it on Blu-ray, of course, I purchased it on fucking Amazon and they had that little x-ray thing at the bottom. And I was just and it said like Psycho score. I was like, oh, he just stole it. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't even know that all these years. I thought he was just like copying, but he, he literally like gave it credit. Literally lifted it. Yeah. He lifted it and placed it back down on his movie. So yes. Yeah. He, no, he was obsessed with Hitchcock as far as I could tell, you know, and, and had no qualms with just taking what he wanted. No. Right. Um, basically everything in the movie reminds me of Hitchcock, like camera angles and camera movement, obviously the sound effects that we just mentioned and the use of his silhouettes mm-hmm. directly from Psycho and some of the others, like Vertigo with some of the, the camera movements and the prom. Yeah. Um, you know, though I must admit, De Palma's signature split screen also makes an appearance to great effect. Yes. 
my goodness. There are just some times when he uses that split screen at the prom and you get an idea of like what Carrie is going through and the devastation that she's causing. And it mm. just like just works so well. And I'm so glad that it he does. made that choice, right? Because you get to watch that powerful performance by Sissy Spacek and get to watch the most horrific moments in the movie at the same time. And it's just phenomenal in my it's opinion. wonderful yes there is one what the fuck moment in this movie for me as far as like a direction is concerned there's like this one weird like they're trying on tuxedos for the prom moment and there's like a weird fast forward moment <laughs> randomly including the fast forward sound yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> i don't get it i don't understand it and it doesn't match anything else he's done in the whole film and it's so weird and quirky it's like i i love it and i hate it at the same time like i can't explain it but whatever i'm moving on yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say as from what you just said, but it's, I mean, it's silly, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't want to cut that montage completely out because it makes me laugh a little bit, but yeah, it's just, it's odd. All right, well, do you want to like, I know we just had a synopsis, but do you want to just go through some of the finer points in the movie or like some scenes or things that we really love? Yeah, I think we have a lot of call outs to some moments of this movie, uh, starting with how it begins, right? Which is that stupid volleyball game. Yeah, I mean, God forbid that she like loses a sports game, right? I mean, like, Jesus Christ. And it's not even that she was consistently bad. It was just like she lost one play or something. But whatever, that kind of sets us up for like, who she is and how she's viewed by the other students. So what ultimately happens uh, is the locker room scene where kids can be so cruel. <laughs> they certainly can be so cruel. And Brian De Palma loves a fucking shower scene at the opening of his movies, right? Oh my God. It's like a slow pan. And it was like, all you see is boosh, boosh and, and dirty pillows <laughs> for like the first five minutes of this movie. And I'm right. like, Jesus Christ. And it's all in slow-mo, right? Yeah. So she's like very sensually, you know, soaping herself up in the the locker room, and who knew that girls were so fucking like rowdy in the locker room? I don't think they are. I <laughs> I really think this is a De Palma film where the, he where he's kind of living out his fantasy a little bit. Well, he's always living out his fantasy, right? Because I mean, Dress to Kill opens with another fucking shower scene like this, so he just loves to have women like soaping themselves up with bar soap, like in slow-mo in the shower he's just like his favorite thing i mean everyone has a fetish right and i'm not gonna kink shame anybody but lord de palma brian yeah we need to talk about brian how familiar are you with the book so i've read the book a couple times right but i have not read it probably in uh, more than 20 years so I, I think i picked up carrie when i was in the seventh grade and read it and it was it resonated with me and then i read it again like toward the end of my high school career but yeah i mean i think i'm fairly I think I remember it fairly well. So is this Stephen King's scene or is this Brian De Palma's scene or both? I mean, it's kind of both. So, I mean, like the, like we said earlier, the book is a epistolary, right? So it's sort of like told either from um, like flashbacks, like there's some sort of government inquiry into what happened in the town after Carrie's destruction. But he does toward the start of the book have the locker room scene where she gets her first period and the girls react in the same way. So, I mean, it's, it's almost, horrific. Yeah. It's, ver- you know? it's verbatim. So, I mean, like he really, they, they say plug it up and, you know, um, they, they talk about Carrie sort of like acting like a trapped animal and like Sissy Spacek sort of acts that way in these scenes too. She looks like a trapped animal, like cowering on that, that shower floor. Yeah. I've been in many like locker room situations growing up and I was in a lot of sports and things like that, but like things, horrible things happened. Right. But not nothing on the level of this. And of course this isn't a horror movie. We're inside a horror movie, right. And a horror book. 
and I know women can be real bitches to each other, like in a way that they they're not with men folk, and sometimes we we don't see it. Women listeners, can you please let us know if something like this would happen in reality, or could happen in reality, or has happened to you, or that you've seen happen to someone else? Like I just don't know that this is. I, I feel like this is one of the most fictional parts of this whole story. I just feel like it's so over the top cruel that it almost couldn't happen. I never underestimate the power of like teenage cruelty you know what i mean it's just like i i mean when i was a teenager i didn't i never experienced things like this even when i came out i came out of the closet in high school and people still didn't like tease me or taunt me you know what i mean but like i would assume that it does happen we, we hear a lot of stories about people getting bullied all the time and it's probably because they thought you pushed that bitch down the stairs that one time <laughs> they knew better than to call me a faggot or something like that i mean like i'd be like don't come near these stairs with me then <laughs> God. that scene in showgirls where she like throws those marbles out i'm just waiting because <laughs> just like chris harkinson i'll get my revenge come on <laughs> but yeah these girls are just really mean and you got i mean can you imagine i well i mean i know we really can't because we're we're men right but can you imagine how scary it would be to to menstruate and not know what it is or what's happening to have blood just coming out of your body for no good reason. I mean, like I would be fucking horrified. I'm horrified when I cut my finger, like with a piece of paper. So yeah, I don't know, but we have to digress because we have a whole story ahead of us. Yeah. Well, let's jump over to, uh, to Margaret White. That's right. And, um, you know, shortly after that locker room scene, we we get to see her finally. And she starts with the one liners immediately. Right. (laughs) Um, we sort of understand what the character is when she goes to Sue Snell's mom's house and um, she's sort of like, you know, talking about the Bible, right? Yeah. So we know that she's she likes the religion. These are godless times, Mrs. Snell. I'll drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, when she offers her some money, she starts with, she turns around, she's like, I pray you find Jesus. <laughs> yeah, because she recognizes that, you know, Miss Snell is trying to get her the fuck out of her house. Yeah, I know. And she does. I mean, she leaves, right? And um, so she, and we get to understand, like, the depth of her religious fanaticity when she gets home and throws Carrie into the fucking closet, right? Her prayer Yeah, because she gets the phone call from school that mm-hmm. Carrie didn't know and that she had gotten her first period in the shower, you know? And she's, I should have known this what happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and she should have known because it was going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is such a weird, like, level of fanaticism. Like, even, like, fanatical, like, the fanatical Christians I've known wouldn't be this far, right? Yet again, we find ourselves in a horror movie. And, of course, this is a level of extremism that is, like, weird. I mean, the Bible says be fruitful and and multiply. Even, like, the most um, sexist versions and views of the Bible is about women just birthing children. And that's where all this, a lot of the stuff comes from. You know, and yet Margaret White's thing is like you shouldn't even <laughs> be able to have children is so like counterintuitive to the actual Bible that it's just it's weird. We, we can talk about the character of Margaret White in this particular moment, right? Because I, I I think we get to understand the level of her fanaticism, and like I think that she really thought that she could pray away her daughter's menstruation. You know what I mean? I kind of get mm. that idea. And when I was doing research for the podcast. It kept saying that Carrie was 16 in the movie. They don't really say in the movie, and I can't remember from the book, but um, obviously that's much later than a girl should you know, get their period. But I mean, like Margaret White is a very scary woman. 
she's a mm. very scary villain and yeah. we learn that like immediately as she enters into the movie but i mean she's not the only villains in the movie right that's right and i do have to say that she does kind of lose her authority faster in the movie than i had remembered i remembered her being much larger force for a lot longer in the movie and she kind of comes back towards the end but anyway i'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in the story because like you said we do have more villains and the more important villains i think for the story the ones that actually do major harm which has the the biggest consequences of the film are the other two of course those teenagers right Mm -hmm. and uh one of which chris is so hellbent on revenge against carrie because you know that whole thing that they did got them in trouble and they're you know either gonna uh, lose their their tickets to prom or you know or they're gonna have to go through like this week long detention and Chris refuses to do that de- you know detention out of principle and um, and so she's gonna she's gonna enact revenge on on Carrie right after she gives the world's like talkiest fucking blowjob I swear to God when I was I, I don't think I've ever noticed it before in this movie but you know the scene where she's driving with John Travolta. And they finally get to that place, and she's after, after he slapped her like three times, right? Yeah. And then she, she start- slapped a lot in this movie. She really she does. was just slapped by the gym teacher, Miss <laughs> Collins, or whatever. Get rid of that gum, Chris. Where should I put it, <laughs> Mrs. Collins? <laughs> so, so <bad> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you did that. But yeah, she's like going down on him, and she's like, "I hate Carrie White." You know, so the next time I get a blowjob, I really hope someone says that to me. Just like, <laughs> do me a favor. I really hate Carrie White. <laughs> Ellipses. <laughs> I'd be like, oh my God, this is the best blowjob ever. It's so specific. <laughs> but yeah. And then you want someone to string up a bucket above you and be like, keep your tits on. <laughs> like John, John Travolta, Travolta says to her. <laughs> John Travolta in this movie. And I guess it's like his first you know major role yes he was in um welcome back cotter tv show back in the 70s yeah and he was he went out for this role and this this is his first big movie and uh yeah like i keep i've seen this movie probably like six times at least Mm -hmm. and every single time like oh that's john travolta (laughs) he's so not memorable to me in this movie and even though he kind of is like i don't know why i keep forgetting he's in this movie (laughs) they they totally play it up in the trailer too they're like and john travolta and his first major role (laughs) (laughs) first major role (laughs) okay it's not even that major come on calm down announcer but yeah carter calm down carter (laughs) he's uh his character is really stupid and he's like abusive and just like i don't know i mean not a likable person at all so i i don't think that it really would have taken that blowjob for him to commit to doing this <laughs> so no. but uh yeah so after they've they've gotten that blood and <laughs> what do you think about that pig killing scene like it's the way it's described in the novel is different because like, they cut it with a knife right he, they, they're hitting it with a hit it with a hammer yzma style i like but i mean to me, it's like, why don't you just go to the goddamn butcher? They'll give you buckets of fucking blood. <laughs> like, why are you doing this? Like, because they're psychos, you know. I mean, like they they have this whole plan and they enjoyed it. I think they enjoyed it as a couple, right? Because when he's like beating that pig to death, and you have Chris like holding onto that wall, and she's like, "Hit it, hit it!" She's like, <laughs> like having the fucking time of her life watching her boyfriend like murder an animal, you know. Yeah. So I mean, like they they are just fucking mean 
they are mean people. But after uh, after they've collected the blood, um, we get into some of these scenes where they're preparing for prom, right? Giving them the opportunity to, to get that blood up above the stage. So. Yeah, and they're also, yeah, and after they do that, that night or whatever, they're actually decorating and, and we, we have them putting up decorations. And I think it's Sue Snell that's putting up these decorations with some of her friends. And can we talk about that fucking ladder real quick? <laughs> that big ass motherfucking ladder? <laughs> the most horrifying thing in the whole movie? <laughs> I was so scared. I was like, what is this ladder? It's like going like it's an A-frame ladder, but then it goes straight up from the from the apex. I'm like, I've never seen a ladder like that. And then like B, like everyone's gonna fall to their deaths and <laughs> this is the movie. I know. So I <laughs> I what I wrote in my notes was fuck me, who would climb on a ladder like that? <laughs> Decorations are not that important. It's like my main it's like both of our main takeaway of this film. <laughs> I mean, it's a horror movie. You got to pick out what's scary. I don't like small ladders. I don't like climbing on step stools, but that one was like all the way to the fucking gym ceiling. I feel like there is like a dark comedy version of this film where like someone's still on the ladder during the Carrie scene. (laughs) (laughs) We see them like fall off. (laughs) Probably. Like trying to hang that last star. (laughs) No, fuck that ladder. Yeah. This is also around the time in the movie where we see Carrie White at um, the drugstore and she's trying on makeup, right? Like oh, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honey, that shit has COVID. Paste yourself on the samples. I know. Wait, hold on. Let me check my notes. I wrote, ah, oh, the 70s, when we thought that lipstick testers were safe. <laughs> just like, yeah, she keeps, like, trying on new colors and I just, like, cannot but help but look at, like, all of the, you know, I'm, I'm done with, like, the, all the social distancing things going on when i watch movies but i'm still like about the germs for real though yeah i mean you're right i mean i just cannot so i was in walmart too after i watched this movie and i happened to just go over to the makeup section i was passing by and i was like i swear to god if they have testers people have actually opened up the lipsticks and like put them on or like put it on the wall to look at it i'm like great no makeup is safe (laughs) we've learned nothing since the 70s carrie's taught us nothing (laughs) But I mean, like after they've like, put the decorations up with that ridiculously unsafe OSHA unfriendly ladder, I mean, we finally get to the prom. That's right. But before the prom, she actually does have this confrontation with her mother where she's like saying, hey, I got invited. I actually said yes. You know, after the persistence of this guy, uh, Sue Snell's boyfriend, who was doing a nice thing. They're both doing a nice thing for Carrie. And, um, you know, obviously her mother is is not having it. But Carrie then showcases her power to her yeah. mother. Right. She she's been doing some heavy research at the library, right? And you know, breaking mirrors and things. And she she knows she's getting a handle on what she can do and what she can't do. And she sort of like you know stops her mother from hitting herself right at the table. She's like, stop hurting yourself, and she moves her. And her mom sort of understands, you know, that Carrie has the upper hand, right, or should have the upper hand in their relationship. And the dynamic yeah. starts to change between them. Right? She actually says things are going to change around here. That's right. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Put my foot down. <laughs> Keep your tits on. <laughs> Keep your tits on, mama. Keep your dirty pillows on, mama. Things are going to change around here. I'm going to wear lipstick. It's red. I should have known it was red. <laughs> <laughs> it's called pink, mama. <laughs> They're all going to laugh at you, Cassie. <laughs> It's Carrie, Mama. <laughs> oh my God! I wish we wrote this movie. 
I guess we still can. <laughs> we can do another remake. <laughs> I like the prom though. I think like the early scenes of the prom are super lovely. Yeah, Tommy is so nice. I love that, you know, she she like she says, she feels like she's on Mars. She's never experienced anything like that. She's never kind of felt accepted the way she's feeling. She's in the midst of this like you know, beautiful decorations. And, and she, she mentions that as really beautiful. And Tommy turns to her and says, you're beautiful. Oh. And it's just so meaningful and sweet. And it kind of brought a little tear to my eye and it means so much to her. And you can tell that it does. And that's part, you know, most of that is the performance of Sissy Spacek. Yeah, I completely agree. <clears throat> I think that, I mean, she, she has played shy very well. And at this particular moment, she gets to play, you know, somebody sort of experiencing, like you said, like, some happiness in her teenage life and i mean just the way that de palma like films some of these scenes it just especially when they're dancing and it's like constantly spinning around you know what i mean and i was i mean i guess it's a love-hate thing because apparently you love that and for me it's like i get it it's like dizzying for her she's out of her element she's on mars right you know and it's like she's just like getting this vertigo you know, Hitchcocky and Vertigo, I guess. And so they're, they're literally have the actors on this fucking platform spinning and the camera's spinning the other direction is going faster and faster. And I'm like, wheel it into Palma. I'm about to fucking vomit. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally the opposite. I'm so like wrapped up in it, especially that dance scene. They're talking and dancing, the camera's moving, everything's spinning. And it's just like fucking magic to me. And I just... <laughs> Just love it. I love the prom so much. Over the top. That camera <laughs> movement literally had me tossing cookies almost. Yeah, I mean, I can I can see that, you know. And had I, you know, drank a little bit more or whatever, it, I probably would have maybe vomited. But if I were on that spindle, I would have vomited for sure. But but anyway, they do get to be voted the you know out of some some. Che- Let's talk about that for a second, right? Because so there's a little bit of ballot swapping going on. There's a little bit of cheating here to to make Carrie get on the stage, right? That's right. And Trump it's just, level. It's just funny <laughs> because <laughs> there's like this throwaway scene where where like one of the guys is in on it. I was like, I'd like to volunteer. It's a day of. He was like, what are you going to do? It's a day of. Like, he was like, well, I'd like to specifically, I would like to take the ballots <laughs> from people. <laughs> he's like, okay, well, you can show up at 630. He's like, I'm going to show up at 8. And he's like, okay, here's the ballots. It's like, what? <laughs> okay. Worst committee chairman ever. You could I mean, have cut that scene out and the whole thing would have been that much more believable. I know. <laughs> They're walking around collecting those ballots and just like kicking them away. You know, <laughs> like... That's your plan. It's your master yeah. plan. <laughs> well, it worked because uh, Carrie is covered in a bucket of blood. I love that walk to the stage, though, when they win, when it, again in slow motion, right? So, mm-hmm. De Palma, he does love his shtick, right? And he sticks to it. Um, but I mean, like, the music is so good at that moment, and everything is so happy. And I mean, but like, everything is working in like this finely precisioned ballet right mm. at that moment right and it's all silent well except for the music right <clears throat> and we see them walking to the stage and we see the applause and we see collins like shooing sue out of the gym and then we cut down to like um chris and billy you know holding that rope and just like ready to pull it like licking their lips and everything mm-hmm. and my favorite shot in carrie and it's always been my favorite shot when every time I've watched it is a close up of Nancy Allen's eye, right? With like so much mascara in her eyelash. It's just <laughs> like, I just love that shot so much. If I could get that and blow it up and frame it, like I would be happy. It's just perfect to me. 
to me, it'd be one of the following scenes. It would be the split screen. It would be the favorite shot of Carrie just staring straight at whatever's happening. And then, you know, everything else is happening on the other side of her gaze, right? It's a reverse shot, reverse shot, but in split screen. And it's so iconic because she's so kind of like determined and emotionless, covered in blood, you know, and and shit's just going down. And uh, it's very iconic. It's incredibly iconic to watch her do that up on that stage. Yeah, shit hits the fan like super fast, right? I mean, super fast because it took like an hour for them to walk to the stage. But yeah, yeah, yeah I was about to say, <laughs> I'm like, he gets a little masturbatory with the slow motion going on and the silence and everything. And I'm like, this could have been sped up just a little bit, at least for modern eyes. Yeah, you're right. Would you have sped it up with that fast forward sound though, like the tuxedo trailer? <laughs> <laughs> Just to be consistent. So yeah, and we get like one of the most iconic lines in the movie, right? Right after that blood is dropped on her and Or repetition. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah, the, the most repetitive line in this movie. <laughs> the, the most iconic repetition of an earlier line in any film. They're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> they're all going to laugh at you. They're and then the stupid kaleidoscope shot that I hate so much, but it's so iconic. It's a love-hate relationship. That? It's a love-hate relationship. I love it and I hate it at the same time. Fucking kaleidoscope. I have such a boner for Brian De Palma. I just do. <laughs> I can't help it. If I were going to make a movie, I'd probably, I would be copying Brian De Palma like he copied Hitchcock. <laughs> I'd be like, kaleidoscopes everywhere. Let's do it. A slow motion kaleidoscope. The whole movie is going to be a slow motion kaleidoscope. <laughs> and I'd be With like, psycho Perfect. sounds. <laughs> Where's my Oscar? And then when I won my Oscar, I would have a slow motion walk to the stage. <laughs> But yeah, let's talk about the, the the really dramatic parts of the prom just for a minute, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, this is the most horrific part in the movie, in my opinion, yeah. right? When she's murdering everyone. So <laughs> um, I kind of wish that they would have, like, done it a little bit more. I feel like the book describes it better, right? In a way that only a book can. And, it's fairly um, horrific because of the way it's done and shot and edited and paced, right? Yeah. But there is very little blood or guts mm-hmm. or anything that's happening in there. It's just kind of tra- traumatic. Yeah. And it's, I don't think it's lost, maybe it's lost some shock. I can't say, because I didn't see it when it first came out. You know, obviously for a modern audience, we would want to add those things. Um, but I, I don't know. It's um, the moment is for me, it's playing more emotionally than it is like viscerally as far as like gore or horror or terror. Yeah. I mean, and, and I agree. I, mean, I think there's, there's very few on screen deaths, right? I think that we get to see like some of the important people die, right? Principal and English teacher for sure. We get to see Miss Collins die, even though like Carrie liked her, but at that point, I mean, she didn't care. And um, <clears throat> we get to see like Norma die, things like that, you know, all the big ones. Um, but the rest of it, I mean, like the the devastation's kind of lost on the audience a little bit. I mean, she literally killed the entire class, right? And calmly walks out of the gym as they burn to death. Also an iconic shot. Yes. Completely. I completely agree with you. With her hands like sort of like stuck out to the side. It's just so good. But yeah, I mean, as, as many times as I've seen this movie, I don't think that it really hit me the kind of devastation that they don't show that's sort of implied, right? And it's really sad and very scary. So yeah. yeah, kudos to Palma. So, but after she calmly leaves that prom and that iconic walk home and makes it home. Well, we- wait, she, she does a, a fairly important thing while she's on her way home, right? Oh, that's right. She does have one more errand. 
Yeah. She does well. <laughs> I would say that uh, Chris and her boyfriend, John Travolta, um, <laughs> tried to run her over. And she, she wasn't having it. No, she was like, you know what? If I can move a water hose, I can move a fucking car. And whoosh, she just <laughs> throws it off the road. <laughs> and then causes it to blow up. She winces again and just causes it to just end that car. That car yeah. has ceased to be. And I think like in the book, it's different. It's not just like a <clears throat> a flipping like explode. I think that she like crushes it with her mind. Right. Yeah. That's more like the sequel or the yeah. sequel, but the remake, the remake. from 2013, mm-hmm. they do that. I think a little bit more. And so, I mean, that's interesting too. I mean, like I, maybe because I've seen the original Carrie so many times and I've only seen the remake once. Like I can't remember that prom scene. I can't remember if it was more horrific or more violent. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like I kind of want to watch the remake again, but I mean, mm-hmm. I yeah. we're not, we're not talking about that one that we're talking about this one. To me, the whole best part of that movie is that end prom scene and her walk home and everything else around it sucks. Yeah, I kind of remember that, too. I think I just like <laughs> Carrie so much that I was just like, oh, this is a good movie. When we, I we think felt- the director was just like, I, I want to redo this whole prom night scene and I want to do the redo the whole walk home and everything else he was just like forced to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We saw this together, right? Oh, you're right. We did. Because we we left the theater and you were like, that was shitty. And I was like, oh, I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) I have a vivid... I I remember that conversation more than I remember the actual movie. So maybe I didn't like it. I think you're probably right. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, after she kills those kids in that car, she makes it home to her mom. And can we talk about all those goddamn candles? (laughs) for real i think that margaret should have had a little bit more you know constructive things to do with her time than light all those fucking candles and who has that many candles in the house yeah and you know it's just not as fun as an adult watching these things because i was like get those candles off that bed (laughs) (laughs) do you want to burn the house down 10 or 20 years ago i've been like oh it's pretty (laughs) (laughs) i'm like you want to burn the house then get that off that comforter (laughs) that's flammable i don't have the insurance for that (laughs) <laughs> but apparently the whites do because there's candles everywhere oh yeah and uh carrie goes to take that bath and get the blood off of her and the candlelight meanwhile we can clearly see her mom like standing behind the door whenever she didn't pick a very good hiding spot <laughs> yeah well good thing she's looking down <laughs> I, so I can see your dirty pillows but then she doesn't oh, do mama, anything she lets me. her take a whole fucking bath <clears throat> yeah she just like sits there while her daughter takes a bath i mean the vanilla <laughs> scented pumpkin spice bath i don't know whatever fucking like yankee candle flavor it is we're like midnight midsummer stream you're like oh mama you bust out the good candles tonight i'm gonna take a bath (laughs) i'm gonna go wash my dirty pillows god but then of course she does confront you know she does see her mom and she's like you were right you know she she does admit that she was um she was wrong. She should have trusted her mama. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we we get the ultimate. You know, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna have the show you the lumbar support that I I need to as your mother. I'm gonna <laughs> plunge my knife into your lumbar. <laughs> yeah, she's she's like one last time we'll pray, right? And so Carrie's assuming yeah. the position, <clears throat> and she gets the fucking knife in the back. So, and she's taken aback. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> I know I'll stop Uh, and falls down the stairs. Her mom comes down and she's like, you know what? I have a whole arsenal at my disposal. It's every piece of kitchen gadgetry we own. 
I'm just surprised there wasn't a cheese grater going on there. Yeah, or the cream, the cream cheese spreader. <laughs> <The> cream <laughs> right. cheese spreader. Yeah, but essentially she crucifies her mother. Uh, yeah. The, one hand at a time against the door frame, and then um, starts throwing shit into her, you know, torso, yeah. her dirty pillows, if you will, mm-hmm. and kills her that way. And of course, it's very reminiscent of the uh, creepy crucifix from the closet. Exactly Jesus the same prose, you know, which yeah, is I think we, nice we poetic s- justice. I think we sort of skipped over that earlier. So, I mean, like, it really is, like, just <laughs> fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's like this lit, like, I don't know if it's like the LED light in the middle of his head or whatever, but it's like lit eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's super creepy. <laughs> I mean, like, she's sitting there, like, looking at it and, like, praying. And well, it's got spears like, and arrows all in its chest and, and all that. And it's crucified. And, and I was like, I don't remember Jesus looking like that, you know. <laughs> but apparently know. That's, what, that's what Carrie White or sorry, that's what uh, Margaret White looks like by the end. So, it's true. I think mm-hmm. that doll is sort of a, a combination of like Jesus and like Saint Sebastian or whatever. I don't know. Either way, it's fucking ugly and terrifying. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so was Margaret White by the end of the movie. Although she seemed to be happy when she died. Oh my God, she seemed like she was orgasming. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! She was like smiling too a little bit. So it was just yeah. like. Mm, okay but but, so when carrie starts to feel the guilt about killing her mother and she pulls her down i winced so hard she's like (laughs) trying to pull her off the wall i'm like what's happening to her hand off screen i don't want to see i don't want to see i was like is she ripping through her fucking hand i was just like oh my god carrie just let her just let her say that (laughs) (laughs) but uh carrie causes the house to burn down around her and that's the end of the whites. I did want to ask you if you thought that whole orgasm thing was like a directional decision based on any kind of themes. You know, obviously she's, I feel like she's taking pleasure in dying the way she is because it's so religious, you know, such religious iconography, you know, I don't know. So there's no. something there. I'm just not smart enough to get it. No, I think you're right. I mean, I think that she, she's dying in such a way that um i think she feels like she she sort of planned her own death but, yeah you know, she had did, not suffered a witch to live yes and you know she's dying in a very you know iconographical way um but i mean like there's lots of themes in this movie period you know I mean, yeah i keep making the puns God damn but it. blood everywhere right and yeah. so i'm yeah i mean i it, i think that the way that she died you're right it's it's just all part of the theme yeah sex and blood and orgasms and crucifixes yeah, yeah. oh my but um, you know, <clears throat> it wouldn't be a horror movie if we didn't have a uh, an epilogue, a scary epilogue. That's right. So Sue Snell, of course, her whole class has died, and she did this for Carrie because she cared for her. Obviously, Carrie died in the movie, you know, and so she goes to to see her, you know, the scene of the crime. She goes to the house to put flowers on it, and as she puts the flowers down, shock and awe with a hand from, <laughs> from the ground, or at least shock and awe for the seventies. It was effective, right? Because I remember my mom telling me when I, I mean, I didn't watch Carrie. I watched Carrie after I read the book. So I mean, like seventh or eighth grade, which was kind of late as far as like, I was watching a lot of other horror movies, but my mom, when I watched it, she was like, oh, the ending is so scary. It's the scariest ending you're ever going to see. And then I watch it and I'm like, what? I was just like the hand pop. It wasn't even fast. It like slowly comes out of the rubble. Yeah, and I'm like, it was scarier in student bodies. <laughs> <laughs> 
<clears throat> I was just like, it's not that scary, mom. She's like, oh, I'll just like shit my pants or whatever, you know? So apparently 1976. Yeah, but they have that like the death vignette of the white, you know, on the sides of the, mm-hmm. the screen or whatever. And she wakes up and her mom's like hugging her and she's still screaming, you know? And um, I kind of wondered, I was like, she's being attacked in her dream. She's waking up and there's some supernatural element to it. I wonder if this is like the original inspiration of A Nightmare on Elm Street, this one scene. It could be, you know, because like uh, Wes Craven ends the original Nightmare on Elm Street with a hand coming out of the window and grabbing Nancy's mom and pulling her in. She right? even looked like Heather Loggenkamp, like in her bedroom and that scene, like when she yeah. was woken up and being held by her mother. So I thought it was super interesting. That just made me think of it so much. I was like, hmm. I'm sure go, that- hmm. <laughs> things that make you go hmm mm-hmm. um i'm sure that you know craven was influenced a little bit he was already making movies right but i mean people borrow from each other like De Palma borrows from a lot of people <laughs> and i'm sure it was it was surprising for people also that weren't that had read the book because the the ending is actually different from the book this could be one of the cases where i just like the movie better than the book i don't know wow yeah well that can happen especially yeah. with uh stephen king when you got short stories that are made into full-blown movies you know, like the mist Right. And this is a short novel. You can read yeah. it in like a day. So, um, yeah, I think I'm going to add that to my list. But yeah, I really, I really do like this movie quite a bit. And I'm glad that we finally got a chance to talk about De Palma because I mean, like two and a half years into our podcast, we haven't done De Palma yet. And I really feel like he is my second favorite director. I just love his oeuvre so much. I think that there are other movies of De Palma's that we can talk about later on in our podcast. Certainly. Like we're certainly not done with him. And, mm-hmm. um, but this is just like one of his best. It's not. It's not his best in my opinion. But I. I just love Carrie so so much. Well, I've got a shit ton of fun facts for you. Oh my god! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, one of which I didn't actually make the cut was um, we were talking about that ending there, right? And uh, that's one of the things that Sissy Spacek liked to do was actually go into the theaters just for the last five minutes to watch people's reactions to that hand grab scene. Really? Yeah. That's all she wanted to see. She she delighted in the fact that it just, just destroyed audiences watching it. And they all just clutched each other. I completely understand, Carrie. I love Carrie. Sissy, I love to scare people. And so just watching people be terrified is really enjoyable to me. Yeah. So for my first fun fact, William Cat, who of course played the wonderful Tommy, was nearly cast as Luke Skywalker before Mark Hamill ultimately won the part, probably because he was more whiny. Mm-hmm. And uh, weirdly, Piper Laurie sometimes reminds me of Carrie Fisher in this movie. Do you, <laughs> I don't do you see, see that? that. I, yeah, I saw her a little bit. It was interesting, like an older Carrie Fisher. Not old Carrie Fisher, but like an older Carrie Fisher. But speaking of Star Wars, Amy Irving, who of course played Sue Snell, originally read for the part of Princess Leia. Really? Yes. And speaking of Princess Leia, there's a long-standing rumor that originally Cece Spacek was cast as Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher as Carrie. But when Fisher refused to appear nude in scenes and Spacek was willing to do them, they switched the parts. So Carrie Fisher later refuted this by saying, not only do I love being nude, I would have been nude then. But anyway, it's total bullshit. (laughs) That sounds like something that Carrie Fisher would have said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I do not see Sissy Space like playing Princess Leia, although I can see Amy Irving playing her. Yeah. So. so, but continuing our discussion regarding Amy Irving, she and Priscilla Pointer were real life daughter and mother. I didn't know that, playing Sue Snell and Eleanor Snell, respectively. Oh my God, I didn't know that either. You didn't? <laughs> no. Awesome. That's her mother? Yeah. Real mother and daughter. 
In oh my fact, God, I'll drink to that. Yeah. <laughs> I pray you find Jesus. But also, I pray that you realize that uh, when she was doing that last scare scene, waking up in bed, uh, the look of shock on her mother's face and, and, and stuff was real because she had never seen her daughter react like that in real life. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I love that. Acting is reacting. <laughs> <laughs> And even more related news, Steven Spielberg often came to the set at Brian De Palma's invitation because De Palma told him there were, quote, a lot of cute girls down here, unquote. Right? So um, one of the writers said that Spielberg asked out most of the women on the set, uh, including Amy Irving. And of course, she was the only one who accepted. And I didn't know this either. Amy Irving and Spielberg were married from 1985 to 1989 because they met on the set of Carrie and had one son together. Well, I thought he was married to... Capture or whatever at that later. Oh my god, I didn't know this either. These facts are like more than fun. They're educating. <laughs> yeah, the, the, some of these are kind of mind blowing. I didn't have any idea about Amy Irving with this. Uh, so that was just interesting to me. I'm so glad they met in such a cringy ass way, though. Too that's gross. Mm-hmm. So Betty Buckley, who played Miss Collins, the gym teacher, won the 1983 Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Musical for her role as the original Grizabella from the production of Cats. I did not know that either. And in 1988, she starred as Margaret White in Carrie the Musical. I did know this because I'm super gay and I love musicals, right? So yeah, I know that Betty Buckley was in that. And of course, like I've loved Carrie the Musical since I knew it, it existed. <laughs> so I knew that Betty Buckley played Margaret White. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just I love that soundtrack. It's so good. Seriously, y'all, if you have if you if you listen to one musical soundtrack this year, just make it Carrie the Musical because it's good. Mm-hmm. Come on, take my word for it. Speaking of Betty Buckley, she was 28 at the time of filming, only two years older than Sissy Spacek, and three years older than Nancy Allen and PJ Souls, who play her students. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that she looks super young, though, but maybe it's just the way they styled her. I thought she looked really young. I was like, hmm. Maybe that's just like she looked a little young for a teacher, but still believable. And all the students looked a little older than students, but still believable. So they got a met in the middle. I don't know. I mean, maybe she's like one of those teachers who just graduated. Either way, I mean, like her bedside manner as a teacher, I applaud. She's like, I'm going to work your ass in this detention. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, if I were a teacher, I'd probably be the same. No, I liked her character a lot. And I always have every time I've seen it. Yes. So. When Sissy Spacek was preparing for her character, she isolated herself from the rest of the ensemble, decorated her dressing room with heavy religious iconography, and studied Gustave Doré's illustrated Bible. She studied the body language of people being stoned for their sins and started or ended every scene she was in in one of those positions. And if you think about it and you watch the movie, you can see it. Even at the table of the gym, she would be in such a way that is in one of those illustrated oh positions of people being stoned in biblical iconography and paintings that's a, that's really neat and also i mean because i mean <clears throat> so the way that the the book sort of opens and the way that the the remake opens and i assume that De Palma wanted to do this as well um when carrie's a baby she causes all these like rocks and boulders to sort of fly at the white house right i, I keep saying the white house but the white house the white's house thank you god <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> or their house <laughs> their house i could just say that but yeah so i mean it starts with a stoning right or supposed to yeah. so that's that's super super interesting to me mm-hmm. so nancy allen claims that she never realized her character was going to be so evil until she saw the finished film she thought she and john derolta were playing such self-centered bickering morons that they were there for comic relief <laughs> No, they're the most evil. <laughs> well, you think about it. Keep your tits on. 
you know, like all that stuff, you know, the, the bickering um, blowjob, oh, yeah. you know. You dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bickering blowjob. Mm-hmm. Bickering blowjob. <laughs> Speaking of Nancy, Brian De Palma wanted Betty Buckley to really slap her, right? So because Alan couldn't get the reaction De Palma wanted, Buckley ended up slapping her as many as 30 times. <laughs> and she ended up marrying him. They were in love, young and in love. Slap her again. <laughs> Keep your tits. <laughs> they fought the night before. She, he had some with Slapper by proxy. <laughs> and then John Travolta. <laughs> again in the car. This lady was slapped like probably like 60 times in the making of this film, at least. I mean, but she always like takes it with a smile, too, though, right? Yeah. She's like, I think she wants to be slapped, really, that character. Well, there's something because she, she, I feel like she lost her beauty after this. He just slapped her shit over too many times. <laughs> they, slapped her. <laughs> they slapped her so much that they had to cast her in like a lesser role in Dress to Kill. I don't know. So Piper Laurie also thought the character of Margaret White was so over the top that the film had to be a comedy. She thought her lines and wardrobe were so hilarious that she would constantly laugh between takes. To this day, she still refers to and maintains that the movie is a black comedy. <laughs> Well, it's like it's like that critic that we talked about earlier in the episode where she called it the best funny scary movie since Jaws. <laughs> I was just like, I don't really laugh when I watch Carrie. Oh, I mean, Piper. not <laughs> oh Piper, silly Piper, but yeah, she's so over the top. Mm. I mean, my good lord, it's amazing. So Cameron De Palma, uh, which is the director's nephew, played the the boy on the bicycle that Carrie attacked with her psychic or psycho powers, I should say. Creepy Gary, creepy Gary, that kid. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad he was knocked off that bike. What a little bastard. <laughs> the ending of the movie is different than the ending from the novel, obviously, like we talked about just previously. And in fact, Stephen King liked the ending of the movie better than the ending of his own book. It happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think that. Like The Mist. Think, yeah, The Mist. Yes, he really enjoys that ending a lot better. And he recently changed the ending to The Stand for the miniseries, right? So he's willing to. Well, he also yeah. is famously bad at ending his stories. So. A- yeah, agreed. <laughs> I mean, he's right up there with fucking Ryan Murphy when it comes to endings. God damn. I mean, it's pretty bad. So in Carrie's house, the statue of a religious figure shot with arrows represents St. Sebastian, not Jesus, right? It's not a crucifix and does not represent Jesus Christ. I feel so justified now that I, re- I remember my religious iconography. I mean, like St. Sebastian and Jesus Christ. It really was like a combination of the two of them. Yeah. yeah. All right. My last two. For when the, the fire hose kills PJ Soul's character, the water pressure actually burst her eardrums. Fuck. So she's not actually unconscious when her head rolls to the side from the force of the fire hose, but she's in terrible pain and lost her ability to maintain equilibrium, obviously. And uh, Brian De Palma decided to keep the shot in. So Soul's had no hearing in that ear for about six months afterward, though her eardrum did eventually heal. Oh, my God. Totally. You can see it in the film. Jesus Christ. That's, I mean, that's a commitment yeah. to, to filmmaking to really destroy your actors. Slap her repeatedly, get that hose as close to her eardrum as possible, and let's make a movie, y'all. Come on. <laughs> so, my last but best, Carol yeah. Kane said that she had the same manager as Sissy Spacek, but it was also in the running to play Carrie. <gasps> oh, I would have loved to see Carol Kane play Carrie <laughs> with that voice. <laughs> mama i know they're called breasts mama <laughs> i can't do a carol kane but can you imagine <laughs> i'm not a witch i'm your wife <laughs> i would want to see carol kane play anything but i think maybe if we make a comedy version of carrie like really do it carol kane should play margaret white <laughs> 
<laughs> and the first thing was flat. <laughs> well, that's just not true. I pray you find Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, okay. I love those fun facts. They were very entertaining, and I expect nothing less from Carrie. But we have a couple questions that we need to ask about the movie, like we always do. And let's start with: Is Carrie a horror film? Yes. Yes. <laughs> After two episodes of saying no, we're back to yes. Clearly, this is a horror movie. I mean, people die. There's special supernatural powers, and religious fanaticism is just fucking terrifying. Yeah, so. it's definitely, I mean, really. It's diegetically and non-diegetically a horror movie. <laughs> so... But I know people who don't say that, right? They think that Carrie's just not a horror movie. What? And it's, I know. Who have said that? I mean, people that I know that I've seen it. Well, I pray they find Jesus. I also pray they find Jesus because they're wrong, but it's about our second question. Were you scared while watching Carrie? I think I have definitely had horror anxiety, certainly during the prom scene. And certainly during some of like the lock in the closet at the beginning, you know, there's a lot of moments that are pretty hardcore uh, emotionally or just like really heavy in a, in a very mm-hmm. horror way. Um, so I'm going to say, yeah, uh, maybe not this time because I've seen it so many times. But even if I had seen it for the first time now, I think I would have had some moments where I could say I was on kind of like the light side of scared. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, the reason that I, you know, say that people don't think this is a horror movie is because they're, they're just not scared during Carrie. And I think that's ridiculous, right? I would never judge a horror movie as far as the genre, whether I'm scared or not. That is so subjective. Right. <clears throat> I mean, but in, I get scared by a lot of things and I'm, I'm scared watching Carrie. I was scared watching Carrie this time. I think that I took away things from the prom scene this time that I never did. Right. I think it was like, like just super wrapped up into it. I think that locker room scene is just fucking horrifying yeah. and, you know, a really good way to start a horror movie. Right. I mean, it starts off with this like bucolic sort of score and, you know, a, sl- a slow-mo soaping and then it like descends and just like what a fucking teenage nightmare is. You know, I feel and like I just- would say like, that's a really good way to put Put it like I feel like I would say I was, you know, I would agree with that sentiment a lot more often if this instead the question was, were you horrified? (laughs) You know, because yeah, yeah, you know, definitely good. So, out of five stars, what would you rate Carrie? I give it four, okay, possibly because I feel like some of it, the filmmaking technique or what have you, is a little dated um, and gets a little bit masturbatory. I feel like Brian De Palma gets a little bit too, you know, self-involved with <laughs> some of his decisions. <laughs> you know, um, some of the some of the styles don't serve the film, you know, story-wise and pacing-wise, etc. And now that I have my eyes a little bit more refined, like if I had seen it back in the seventies, five out of five. If I had seen it maybe even just twenty years ago, five out of five. I'm seeing it now, where my eyes are a lot more discerning. You know. Okay. Um, you know, post film school, post podcast, you know, all those other things, uh, modern horror and rewatching and watching some older things, especially Hitchcock for the first time in a long, 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 long time or for the first time at all. And so I have to give it one point loss just because there seems to be a little bit of masturbatory filmmaking going on here, but it's a high four. My God, it's, it's such a great movie. I give it five stars out of five. 
I think that Carrie is pretty much a perfect movie, in my opinion. I every time I watch it, I'm blown away by by the acting and just the movie itself, and especially the style. I really, really appreciate De Palma and his work. I think that he knows how to craft a good thriller, and I obviously I think he knows how to craft a good thriller because he likes Hitchcock, right? You know, who whom I also love as a director. Um, I just really like De Palma. I think that. I think that he he incorporates his style and doesn't lose anything in the filmmaking process. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I think that I think he just makes really good movies. And I think that Carrie is just so good. Like every time that I watch it, I just love it. I've probably seen it about ten times or so. I just um I like the story. I can see how people remake it all the time. It's it's good. It's just good all around. So finally, and um we have some options here. Who's the hottest guy in Carrie? Tommy. I mean, sometimes, but I'm going to go with John Travolta. Okay, yeah. So So John Travolta came on the screen. I was like, holy shit, he's so young and hot in this. Um, and it's obviously it's even pre Greece, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, pretty early in his career. And I was like, man, that is just an iconically like statuesque, you know, perfect looking human. Right. But I have to say for me, it's more than looks. Right. And so for me, Tommy and the way he treated Carrie, uh, and his intention later on in the movie, uh, made him more attractive for me. I do think that William Cat is really pretty. Right. Um, oh, but except the- for his fucking fro hair. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. I was like, the hair is what I was just like, the 70s no. hair is not doing him any favors. Yeah. If he asked me out at the prom and I was just like, if you like cut some of that hair off, um, but yeah, John Travolta in this movie just looks like, like you said, like statuesquely beautiful, right? And um, I mean, just solely from a plus, he's an idiot in this movie, and I'm just like not attracted to that at all. <laughs> I mean, I, he seems like somebody that I could win over really easily, like to get to do what I want, just like Chris does. It's not that hard. He's real stupid, you know. He's stupid and pretty, and I'm like, okay, sign me up. Let's date for a little bit and see what happens. Yeah. You know, Hashtag I, me too, I promise Robert. you. Jesus. <laughs> I, I mean don't slap me i don't want that and i promise you that i talk less during blowjobs well, so, like <laughs> don't call him uh don't call him a stupid a dumb bitch shit? or dumb shit or... <laughs> i don't call anybody a dumb shit in my brain i mean but <laughs> Well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Brian De Palma's Carrie. Uh, we want to know what you think about this episode and the movie itself. You can find us on social media at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline and let us know exactly what you thought of Brian De Palma's Carrie at 972-666-7733. I couldn't help myself. Brian De Palma's <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock's Harry. <laughs> Carrie. Harry Carrie. <laughs> if you want even more Film Flamers, head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers to find our bonus episodes and to get some of our episodes a little early. You could also give us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and we'll read that on our next Shooting the Flames episode. Next up is The Rage, Carrie 2, which will probably be a lot shorter of an episode. We'll just say that. That's right. I just watched it, and I'm already feeling The Rage. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, who knows? If we're feeling like it, we might give you another top ten soon. Maybe. Just maybe. 
But keep anticipating those episodes, listeners. And um, until next time, have some sweet Sweet Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. (sighs) They're called breast Chris. I don't even know. My favorite line in this movie. There's just too many. All right. Well, now that we've watched Cassie, <laughs> The Rage, Cassie 2. <laughs> 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 <laughs>